Before we get started, I want to tell you about one of our awesome new sponsors, Ebles. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You know, except all those aches and pains that creep up as the weather gets cooler, or God forbid you pull a Clark Griswold while putting up the lights. But what if there's a way to be able to enjoy the cold weather of the holiday season without the associated bodily aches and pains? Well, imagine no further as Evil's CBD Topical Freeze Gel is here to the rescue. Whether it's to help that nagging shoulder injury from sports ball game of yesteryear, or it's to help alleviate those deep aches and pains CBD Topical Freeze Gel from Ebels offers the industry best quality and strength to offer lasting relief from chronic pain. And this holiday season, all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience can get that perfect gift to self or stocking stuffer for that fitness fanatic in the family at an exclusive discount at checkout using code TBNS. Again, use code TBNS at checkout to get your discount applied to your order. Listen, the holidays are especially tough this year, so let's at least not spend them in pain. So use code TBNS at checkout to see the evil's difference today. And now, onto the show. Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific need. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Victor Antonio, welcome to the program. Selling is all about really, it's, we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think you're selling, a solution. You're selling change. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the liberty movement. And this is why we talk about being the trusted advisor. You should be able to help use that expert guidance and all the opinions that I'm sure that you have and help lead them towards not just a decision, but the right decision. Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining me. And uh, I, I really want to reach out to you this week, Steve, because right now climate is being discussed all over the world. Climate change, climate strikes. You have Greta Thunberg. She's going uh, to the United Nations giving her speeches. And I thought, you know, why not have the guy who was the the, the thinker of the term junk science and the website junkscience.com to come on. Let's discuss this with somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. So first, Steve, let's kind of introduce who you are to my audience if they're not familiar. Okay, so I'm Steve Malloy. I publish JunkScience.com. I've been doing that since 1996, like the dawn of the internet. Um, I've been working on environmental issues for just about 29 years now. I have a background in science and statistics. I'm a, a lawyer as well. Uh, I worked on the Trump EPA transition team. Um, you know, I just uh, I have worked on all sorts of environmental, public health issues. 
and especially as they mix in with uh, business and, um, you know, <laughs> I've been doing it for such a long time. I don't even know what to say that. <laughs> well, how about this? Let's kind of go towards your, your kind of your baby, right? 1996 junk And you were pretty much like the, the person that came up with this term junk science. So, uh, if you could, let's kind of outline what is junk science, as Steve Malloy uh, would have it. Okay, well, I, I didn't invent the term. The term was sort of an old term used by uh, lawyers in toxic tort cases uh, since the 1960s, but it really wasn't in you know, everyday lexicon. Um, but I kind of popularized it. So junk science, in, in my view, is bad science used to advance uh, an agenda, one that's often hidden. So... We're talking about, you know, uh, activist groups, could be businesses, lawyers, regulators, politicians, people, scientists that want to be rich and famous. Um, you know, anybody, any sort of, you know, hidden agenda that is relying on obviously bad science. Gotcha. So let's talk about this bad science, right? Um, and, and obviously this leads to the conversation that we're seeing in 2019, that is climate change. Now, I'm you know old enough to remember back when it was global warming, and I'm sure that you can think back to the several iterations that were there before global warming, global cooling, whatever it may be at the time. Exactly. So let's kind of walk through what was it that got you so involved in the climate discussion or just the, the larger global warming, global cooling discussion? Okay, so as I mentioned, I... I since 1990, I've been working on these issues. And, um, you know, I, I started working on them because when I first started working on environmental issues, you know, say I ran in, I was working on a pesticide and people would say, oh, this pesticide causes cancer. And I would say, well, how do you know that? And, and so they point me to all the resources and I would you know, go through them and go through all the science and everything and pretty much pretty quickly find out that there's really no science here. This is just all guesswork. And I mean, it's guesswork, not not without a reason, but it's just basically guesswork. And so I learned pretty quickly to just question everything when it comes to the environment. And so global warming was a natural. I mean, um, you know, uh, people were so certain about what was happening and they had never been right in the past. And just, you know, the, the data that is used in global warming is terrible. The understanding is poor. Uh, for example, you know, the historical network of temperature stations around the world, there's 1,200 thermometers. And, and while that sounds like a lot, the Earth has 196 million square miles. And if you do the math, that works out to about one thermometer for a landmass the size of California. Uh, and, and, you know, California has many different temperatures. What is the average temperature? The whole thing is just crazy. And then, you know... <laughs> So, so the science, the science is suspect, and and you know all these claims about extreme weather. Well, this weather's always happened before, and in fact, you know, as far as warming is concerned, well, we know that it was a lot hotter in terms of extreme temperatures in the 1930s than it is today. So there's a lot of questions about the science, but then you start running into, you know, so who is pushing this scare? And you know, global warming basically uh, got started at the UN by Margaret Thatcher, who wanted to break the British. Um, coal unions by pushing the nuclear industry. And the way to do that was to say that coal emissions were causing global warming <laughs> or to start hiking. I mean, it, she wasn't the first one to invent that theory, but she's the one that pressed it so that the UN picked it up. And then you have this whole host of characters uh, from, you know, James Hansen at NASA, the one who testified in Congress in 1988, 
Uh, you have you know, Michael Mann's uh, hockey stick. I call it the hokey stick. <laughs> um, you know, and then today we, you know, all the way till today we have uh, Greta Thunberg, this 16-year-old girl from Sweden who has dropped out of school for a year so she could go around campaigning for global warming. Uh, she doesn't know one thing from another, yet she is now the face of climate change. Well, and that's the thing too, right? The, the the younger generation, it seems in particular, and I say that as someone who myself, I am a millennial, so I can look and I guess look at the Generation Z and say, oh, those, you know, those young kids. Um, but with that being said, looking at what there seems to be the sense of we know exactly what the truth is, and that is that, you know, it's, it's what you want to call anthropogenic, you know, climate change. Humans are causing it. It's indisputable and then you see this number right the 97 percent of all scientists in the climate field all agree and they they cite this number as if it is the you know verifiable indisputable god-given truth is their number just wrong or is there a misconception what's the issue there that 97 percent number well the consensus is just invented and the 97 percent number was just it was a number pulled out of thin air who, uh, you know, several activist researchers have sort of worked backwards to, you know, justify a number like that. Uh, it's completely meaningless. Uh, never, I mean, there, there are plenty of places around the internet that, uh, that debunk that. Um, I've never seen a, you know, th- there's no scientific consensus, and science is not done by consensus to start with. And when you say the scientific consensus, that is junk science. There is no scientific, you know, something is... It is scientific and it is correct or it is not. There's no – when you have consensus, that's politics. Right. And that's – it's actually funny you mentioned that because I think there's a very similar um, correlation between the way that a lot of people more – I'd say just – you know, I, I don't like generalizations, but more of those on the left tend to look at things more through, you know, this, this de- democratic – you know 50 plus one majority like as long as we all plus one agree that this is the truth it has to be the truth and it just doesn't it doesn't fit into the actual processes of the scientific method where there is no consensus like you say it really is what is verifiably true versus not yeah and and the whole way the whole consensus thing has worked out you know if uh if you remember from 10 years ago climate gate we're coming upon the 10th anniversary of climate gate mm-hmm. climate gate kind of you know we had always been saying that uh, journals were being intimidated from publishing articles by people who didn't tow the you know climate alarmist line and so climate gate validated all that in spades uh for us and uh, so, you know, journal editors were being bullied into not publishing papers. Um, and then, you know, climate became extremely political during the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can only get money from a university or from the federal government if you were towing the climate alarmist line. So that's what's happened. And, yeah, there's a lot of papers out there. You know, if you're a scientist in a university and you want to get funding from the federal government, the way to do that. You know, even if you like study squirrels, it's to say, well, I'm going to study the effect of climate on squirrels and you'll get your money. Right. Because uh, they know what the outcome is going to be. Climate is bad for squirrels. Therefore, we must you know, become communists. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so that, that, I mean, that's so you, you have a lot of university scientists and every institution in America basically has has fallen hook, line, and sinker for climate alarmism because that's for them. That's where the money is. So. 
that that's a point I actually wanted to kind of address a little bit more in detail. Now, I'll kind of play devil's advocate here, right? Um, so I have oh, a lot yeah. of good friends who are, you know, they're in in the sciences, whether it's the hard sciences or the the social sciences. But um, you know, a lot of my friends who are in you know PhD tracks or they have their PhDs. Um, whenever I say, well, you know, I, I bring up what you just said. You know, a lot of the the funding that goes towards these different ventures it incentivizes the the researcher to find the conclusion that the funding is trying to promote from a policy perspective. And yeah. they, they, they vehemently disagree. They say, no, no, because in our scientific community, there are standards that are held between, you know, the, the, the different, you know, peer-reviewed articles and, and making sure that you're hitting, you know, the, the various sources and people wouldn't go out of their way to manipulate data or not just manipulate data, but just misrepresent data in order to obtain funding. So yeah. where, where are they, where's this disconnect coming from? All I, all, those I, all I can say is they haven't been around very long. <laughs> There's, there are loads of incentives in every field to publish junk science and, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, uh, my training is really in public health and epidemiology, you know, biostatistics. And, um, you know, people really don't understand data quality. They really don't understand statistics. And, and the vast majority of studies today rely heavily mm-hmm. on statistics and poor quality data. Uh, you know, we have a huge scientific um uh, you know, publication industry, they're desperate for papers a lot of times. Today, scientists get paid, or they'll pay to publish their papers. They're not any good, but they publish them anyway because, you know, in universities, publisher parish. Uh, it's, it's, it's really an awful situation. It's been going on for a very long time. Uh, you know, so take, let, let's take someone like Paul Ehrlich, who mm-hmm. is a full professor at Stanford University. Since the mid-1960s, he's been raving about how, you know, the world is coming to an end. He predicted mass famine, 200 million starvation deaths in the 1970s. It was never correct. The guy's never been right in his life. However, he remains a full professor at Stanford. He is even a member of the uh, prestigious National Academy of Sciences. The guy's never been right. I mean, he has made outrageous predictions. He's always wrong, always. I mean, I'm happy to debate him anytime, any place. He's always wrong. Yet, he, you know, he's a full professor at Stanford. So mm-hmm. I publish JunkScience.com. He's a full professor at Stanford. Who are you going to believe? You know, so right. that's how it goes. Yeah, well, and it's like, you know, you have somebody like Peter Schiff who, who really, back in 2004, identified the housing crisis, gets yeah. called a loon because, oh, there's nothing happening, and then four years later it yeah. happens. I mean, it's, right. it's almost the exact same thing. Right, right. So, so uh, there's this, yeah, so that, that leads to my next question. So what is it that's keeping the... Folks like you, like, you know, let's say in the economic worlds, like the Peter Schiff's or the Tom Woods or Bob Murphy's of the world, what's keeping th- this group of people who seem to be having a pretty darn good track record and actually stating what's actually happening or where things aren't happening in your case, and yet you're considered to be, you know, an outside radical voice versus, the, you know, the Ehrlichs of the world who have been proven consistently wrong, yet they're still heralded, or like the Paul Krugman's of the world, they're still heralded as these great intellectual thinkers that are leading our world forward. Right. Well, apparently uh, there's a huge demand for scoundrels and scoundrelism. <laughs> uh, you know, when you get to climate, climate has a lot of agendas at, at work, right? There's the financial agenda. You know, if you're, if you're in the solar or wind industry, uh, you want those subsidies um, that, you know, guaranteed subsidies or you want to build electric cars because you get guaranteed subsidies. To, you know, so there's money there for that. 
there's a political agenda. If you're on the left and you want global government or you want government to control the economy, um, well, global warming is great because as you can tell from just listening to the Democrat debates, I mean, they want to tell you, you know, what kind of bag you should throw your kitchen trash away in, whether you should, you know, they want you to stop eating cheeseburger. I mean, they want to tell you everything, you know, they want to direct all parts of your life. In 2009, I wrote a book called Green Hell, How Environmentalists Plan to Control Your Life and What You Can Do About It. And it's all about how environmentalists want to control every aspect of your life. So it's a political movement. It's got nothing to do with the environment. And let's take it to where we are now in 2019, right? So just this past uh, past week, before our recording, we had what was a pretty much a worldwide movement of these students doing a, a global climate strike, right? So yeah. it seems that there has been a much larger um, group of the younger generation, particularly now, who are looking at this issue of climate change and they're they're you know full in they're, they're they've bought the, the narrative hook line sinker we are going to be extinct in like 10 years like there's nothing we can do unless we do radical action now what's happened what's what's happened even from well, my generation so so uh, global warming hysteria climate bedwetting as i like to call it on twitter um has been part and parcel of the secondary education curriculum and primary education curriculum for the last 20 years so it's all these kids have ever heard. And, you know, the world is coming to an end. They can't understand why no one is is uh, doing anything about it. And I don't know about uh, when you were in school, but when I was in school, there was no way they were giving us free passes to go <laughs> protest the government. Yep. That's not happening. So that's how things like Friday, last Friday, happened. I mean, schools let them out. These kids are going to have fun. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, they've, they've heard the propaganda. They've memorized it. it you know, maybe some, maybe some of them take it seriously, um, but you know, there, there's nothing there. They, these kids have been brainwashed. You know, the ones like Greta Thunberg, I think she's a victim of ideological child abuse. Um, you know, the whole thing's just nuts. And then, as an added factor, if you, you know, people don't really talk about this that much. Uh, uh, earlier this year, Angela Merkel, the Chancellor of Germany, let the cat out of the bag. The, the Russians are funding uh, this kid's climate movement. Because they want to, you know, destabilize Western economies. They, you know, they want uh, Germany to get off coal and get on to Russian gas. Mm -hmm. uh, they like they like the kind of chaos that we saw in France earlier this year with the Yellow Jackets, the Yellow Jackets. Yeah, they like that kind of stuff. And they like this chaos in America too. They like, you know, this 16 year old from Sweden coming over here, and you know. Democrats have embraced her totally to the point where, boy, you can't even criticize her at all. If you do, you're an awful person. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, so. Well, it's eerie because like I'm seeing very similar parallels, much to what we saw back in February of 2018 in the the shootings in uh, in Florida with David Hogg pretty much taking over this entire, you know, anti-gun movement and using the sensationalist you know, narrative that was being promoted from using a tragedy, more or less, to then try to, to use kids as a means to promote a political or policy-driven change. And I mean, I myself, like, I don't care what people's positions are on either, you know, guns or climate change or, or you name the, the hot-button issue, but to see there's such a pointed effort by those people in power right now that are adults, and they're using kids as pawns to promote a political agenda. I mean, it, I don't know how anybody on the left can look at this and say, oh, this is a great thing. Like, this just feels icky all well, over it. Yeah, because it... 
it, what is important to the left is getting the power. That's all they care. They don't care what they have to say, what they have to do, who they have to kiss to get it. They want the power. That's what the game is all about. And it's unfortunate that you know, most people are just kind of unaware of this. And, and, and they think, oh, this is honest disagreement. No, <laughs> there's no honest disagreement going on. They are trying to stampede us. And they've tried everything. You know, Al Gore tried his movie. There have been a million other attempts. Now they have, uh, you know, Greta coming to America, all trying to stampede us into some sort of global, well, at least a, a, a national climate regime. You know, the you know places like France and China and Russia and Germany, they'd like to see the U.S. crippled with climate regulation. And we, under President Obama, we were well on our way there. We absolutely were. But yeah, and then this is the part that astonishes me, right, is that I see a, a great number of folks more in the Republican conservative camp who maybe aren't on board 100% with man-made climate change, but they're at least starting to listen to the argument. So I'll give you an example. I mean, Ben Shapiro, for all the things he does a lot well, I mean, this is one thing, I forget which Sunday um, special it was, but he had a guest on his show, and basically he conceded, yes, we're having climate change taking place, and yes, humans are, you know, a, a main proponent, a main cause of this. And even 10 years ago, that was not an argument that I really heard anybody on the right making. And actually, it's funny. There's um, well, a, a libertarian thinker named yeah. Michael Malice. He has a, an expression that a lot of times conservatism is just liberalism driving the speed limit. Um, so <laughs> is, is, is it just that the left is is so far ahead of where the right is that they're just trying to keep up now? Or is there something that's happened that people are starting to like say, oh, maybe this is actually something we should look at? Well, I like Ben Shapiro, but I mean, yeah. You know, everybody says they care about the environment, but a few people really want to take the time to learn anything about it. And so I'm afraid that he's just been stampeded into saying that, you know, I mean, climate change, I mean, it's true. Climate change has always been happening, always will happen, but it happens at a pace that's not really discernible to anybody. Do humans have an impact on climate? Well, of course, all you need to do is look at your evening weather map and you'll see that urban areas are warmer and rural areas are cooler. Mm-hmm. But, th- but that's not really, you know, when, when he starts talking about those, he's not really qualifying them like I just did. He is kind of, he's buying into the narrative and just looking for some, you know, non-communist way <laughs> of, of controlling the climate, which is impossible. There's, and, 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 and you know, uh, he, he's just being a useful idiot for the left. And I know that there are a lot of Republicans that feel this way. You know, but as I said, everyone cares about the environment. No one wants, no one wants to learn anything about it. Republicans, they're, they're terrible on it. And I, you know, I can kind of understand why. I mean, you know, there's science and math and economics, as well as politics and the environment. Then you have air pollution and water pollution and chemicals and toxic waste. I mean, it's all these different topics. And it really... You know, it takes time. I've been working on this for 30 years, um, and and few people have that kind of background. So I kind of understand no one knows what they're talking about, but I wish they would just say, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. Well, and let's, let's kind of look at the people right now who they think they know what they're talking about, but they really don't. Um, you have the, the, the squad, AOC and her team leading the Green New Deal. Uh, you have a group of, uh, a large group of, of kids, more or less, who are leading this, this global climate strike. And then you mentioned Greta Thunberg, who's, you know, go, she went to the UN and she basically did a, a whole speech on how terrible it is that her generation is ruined. So let's, let's really quickly walk through, um, just based on your experience there, Steve. What, what do you think, are the top 
things that these activists want to see accomplished from a government perspective to, quote unquote, tackle climate change? Well, they just want to see the government in charge of the economy. You know, um, Ocasio-Cortez has got an entire political agenda. And part of that is controlling the economy through the environment. You know, it's only part of her agenda. Uh, you know, her, her former chief of staff actually said climate wasn't part of the original, you know, Green New Deal. It's just some socialist. But but they, they slipped it in there. So now, I mean, you know, that's what she is after. Uh, Greta, I don't know, you know, Greta was put up to this by her, her uh, you know, stage mom. Uh, her, 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 both her parents were in show business and, and they put her up to this. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what she hopes to get out of this. She might be one of those people looking for fame and fortune. And maybe this is, you know, helping her with her, her own uh, emotional problems. Uh, apparently she was in a severe depression until uh, because of global warming and it lasted for several years. And I guess this activism is helping her get whatever. <laughs> I don't want to go communist because she needs therapy. Uh, these kids, well, I think a lot of kids skip school on Friday because they just want to skip school, right? And go have some fun and, mm. and make some noise. Um, it, you know, there's 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 something in it for everybody. So let, this is the part I don't get. Where is the disconnect? So you look at what the free market does, right? The free market has already helped get natural gas to be cheaper, number one, than the alternative means, but also it's producing 50% fewer emissions than, than coal. We have nuclear power out there that recently is really, it's, been made a lot safer um, and it's producing essentially zero emissions. And you have companies out there. I mean, for example, carbon engineering, they're working on machines that are literally sucking carbon out of the atmosphere. And yet when these alternatives that are actually accomplishing the goals the, of the, the climate change, you know, the pro government takeover to of the economy to help structure things in a pro climate change way, they completely ignore the things that are already being done because they're being done from free market. Where is this cognitive dissonance coming from? Well, it's not cognitive dissonance. They're not interested in the climate. Obviously, if you thought that carbon dioxide and and uh, other greenhouse gas emissions were going to end the planet, then you would embrace nuclear power. Right. Because there's no emissions. Right. You would embrace natural gas because it's less than half the emissions of coal. Uh, you would you would do these things, but but they don't. Okay, they they don't want nuclear power. They're, they expressly don't want nuclear power. They don't want natural gas. Well, <laughs> how are we going to maintain our standard of living or any kind of standard of living without these things? Um, I, I you know, and I think this is a great point you raised. I mean, this this shows that it's not about the climate. Um, it's certainly unrealistic to think that you can just throw some switch and all of a sudden we don't emit any more greenhouse gas emissions. You know, this whole notion, uh, and I'll just take it one step further, you know, uh, AOC and these kids and uh, Democrats in Congress and even the few Republicans, uh, you know, they, they want to put a carbon tax in the United States. They want to raise the price of electricity, gasoline, and basically every consumer product. But what for? I mean, the math is pretty simple. The U.S. is only a small part of global emissions. And, and you can do this, and I've done it on junkscience.com. Um you know, if, if the U.S. shut down no emissions today, no emissions for the rest of the century, um, it, it would make precious little difference in terms of the atmosphere concentration of greenhouse gases or carbon dioxide. So what's really the point? I mean, if you're, you know, if, if, if you're really uh, worried about the environment, um, you know, go to China. <laughs> right? China is like right. the place on Earth right now, as all communist societies are. 
uh, that the air is terrible. Uh, you know, they, 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 they mine in the most filthy, dirty way possible. There's basically no environmental regulation over there. It's just, it's a mess. So if you're really concerned about the environment, you would go there. We have the cleanest environment in the world, especially considering, you know, our, you know, industrialized uh, nature. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's a huge disconnect. And, you know, once again, these kids have been brainwashed in school. I don't really expect much from the kids. Um, you know, even conservative kids have been brainwashed in school. They really don't know one thing from another. And unless you make the effort to go ask the question, how do you know this is true? Which is what I did 30 years ago. When I first got in the environment, I didn't know anything about the environment. I mean, I had a background in, you know, science and statistics and I was a lawyer, but I didn't know anything about the environment. But people would start making statements like this causes cancer and I would chase it down. How do they know? And I got so good at this, I got, actually got hired by the Department of Energy um, to, to do report on this, you know, uh, they're called science policy assumptions and how they determine something causes cancer. Uh, and it was a real eye-opener. I mean, a lot of this environmental hysteria is just made up. And we could go for hours and hours about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and like, I guess the, the one thing I want to kind of raise up from that as well is that a lot of people seem to have a, a disconnect between being in favor of conservation um, yeah. and then looking right. at climate change and thinking yeah. that they're the same thing. You can, you can be a conservationist and, and care for the environment without trying to take over the government to enact these absolutely rabid policies that are going to destroy the market and actually accomplish nothing of real substance. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that's really important to address. Yeah, no, you know, um, in 50 years ago, uh, you know, late 60s, 1970, um, you know, we got, we, we got more serious about the environment and we cleaned the air, we cleaned the water. Uh, in the eighties, we started focusing on these, you know, improperly disposed of, uh, waste, you know, toxic, so-called toxic waste sites, super fun waste sites. And so, um, over time we have cleaned up our environment and we've been good stewards and conservation is great, but it's got nothing to do with global warming. I mean, you know, carbon dioxide is plant food. And uh, today, we, you know, if, if purpose of conservation is to green the world or keep the world green, well, the world is greener than ever before because of all the con- uh, carbon dioxide we put in the air. And as between it getting warmer or colder, well, we'd rather have it get slightly warmer than slightly cooler because slightly cooler would cause crops to fail and we'd have famine like they did in the, you know, uh, during the Little Ice Age in the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries. So uh, this conservation has got nothing to do with climate, although, you know, I, there's a Republican group, a new Republican group called the Roosevelt Conservation Caucus or something like that. And, and they're trying to use this conservation cover, you know, the Teddy Roosevelt, um, liking national parks, but they want to lobby for climate regulations and a carbon tax. And that's just a, you know, no go for me. I'm, you know, my business put those people out of business. <laughs> so let's um let's kind of end on this. What would you uh, lay out, Steve, as like the ideal um the ideal policy when looking at both the environment but also um looking at air quote climate change? What do you see as the best means as a society, both for our our Earth's health and our health, but also for our economic health going forward? Well, I think we used to have this, you know, in the um in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, there was a fairly rigorous debate about the environment. Sometimes you got the right answers, sometimes you got the wrong answers. But you could have a debate about it. You can even go into court, into federal court, and and litigate with the federal government about these things. 
And the important part was that all viewpoints get aired, but that's, those days are over. I mean, the, you know, the, um, People like me, we are. They try to shut us down. They call us climate deniers, whatever the hell that means. I mean, they're trying to liken us to Holocaust deniers. It's yep. it's really sort of disgusting abuse and disrespect of the Holocaust and everything, and a total misrepresentation of what people like me are all about. All all we want is to have a fair hearing of the facts. And you know what what really upset me, I guess, when I first started out in this business was, you know, people were making up making uh, making these assumptions and calling them science. And they would say, well, this causes cancer, therefore we must regulate. And so my problem with that is, you, you know, you can say, well, we're not really sure, the science doesn't really show this causes cancer. We're concerned, but, you know, there's no evidence, but we want to regulate. I can understand that, okay? I mean, that's being honest. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty. Maybe there's no evidence, but we're concerned, so we want to write. Okay, that's fine. You know, we can talk about that. What are the costs of regulating? But with climate today, it's just, it's, you know, absolute certainty. I mean, if, if you heard Greta yesterday in the UN, I mean, she knows. She knows that we are destroying the planet. We are destroying her future. Uh, AOC said that there was only 11 years left to save the planet. Um, <laughs> and they're so certain about everything they say, and they're always wrong. So, um, you know, the perfect environment is not necessarily the perfect outcome, but it's having, it's having the ability to have a discussion mm -hmm. about what the science is, what the facts are, what the costs are, and, 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 and maybe having the politics, politics swirl around that, whether, you know, action is merited based on scientific uncertainty and potential for economic costs and that kind of thing. Oh, 100%. And, and that, what a, see, this is why I want you to have you on, Steve, because you're bringing a little bit of the common sense that's needed to have in this very non-commonsensical conversation because a lot of people don't want to have a rational, logical conversation. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you very much for, for trying to give a voice of reason to this very sensationalized and, and, you know, emotional topic. So, uh, for my listeners who are looking to, to learn more about junk science and they can maybe look for some different, uh, alternative answers to what's being promoted out there in climate change. Where can they go ahead and find uh, some more of your work? Okay, well, so you can, my website is junkscience.com. You can follow me on Twitter at junkscience. And I, I, I have, uh, you know, I've written several books, uh, Junk Science Judo, Green Hell, and Scare Pollution, Why and How to Fix the EPA. I think these are all, all excellent reads will explain a lot of this to people that really, you know, want to know about the environment, say they care about the environment, that really make some effort to learn about it. Amen. Well, what a good place to uh, to leave the episode there. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. I really Thanks, appreciate the, uh, the time, and we're looking forward to having you in the future. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. 
trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life, raise your hand if you heard any of those tiresome phrases over the past year and a half. I know my hand is currently raised. Millions of people across dozens of industries were labeled unessential and forced to lock down with livelihoods and futures crushed in an instant. And as government has continued to expand its power and leverage fear to turn neighbor against neighbor, a group of filmmakers have taken a stand and are determined to help set the record straight on the importance of following the actual science of the pandemic. Follow the science on lockdowns and liberty from the Sound Mind Creative Group is a brand new docu-series highlighting the stories of those negatively impacted over the past year and a half by ineffective government policies enacted in the name of following the science. With noted experts like Nick Hudson from Panda, the Pandemic Data and Analytics Organization, healthcare policy advisors like Scott Atlas, and telling the stories of business owners, families, and just your average everyday person harmed by these government mandates. Follow the science on lockdowns and liberty is giving us a chance to make sure the true stories of the pandemic are told. So please help us at The Brian Nichols Show in supporting the Sound Mind Creative Group. With noted figures in the liberty movement like Dr. Tom Woods donating thousands of their own dollars to this project, you know just how important this project is. So head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science to donate and catch their brand new trailer to the docuseries one more time. That's briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science.